Good morning, everyone. Refreshing rain after months of uh, heat and dryness. That's First John chapter two, verses seven to eleven, and there's a bit of an outline that'll be on the overhead. Um, I won't go through every scripture that's mentioned here, but let's just read that passage, either either from your Bibles or uh, watching the overhead. Beloved, First uh, John two, chapter uh, verse seven. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you had, have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Then following is the Amplified Version. I, I often enjoy reading that version just to get a little uh, greater insight here. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning, the old commandment is the message which you have heard, the doctrine of salvation through Christ. Yet I am writing you a new commandment which is true, is realized in him and in you, because the darkness, moral blindness, is clearing away and the true light, the revelation of God in Christ, is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and yet hates his brother, Christian, born-again child of God his own father, is in darkness even until now. Whoever loves his brother, believer, abides, lives in the light, and in it or in him there is no occasion for stumbling or cause for error or sin. But he who hates, detests, despises his brother in Christ is in darkness and walking, living in the dark. He is straying and does not perceive or know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's uh, an old and yet new commandment. And uh, if you want to look up sometime Deuteronomy, chapter 6, the first, first uh, six verses, uh, we'll just refer to this from in a moment now from Mark 12. Jesus referred to this passage. Uh, one of the scribes came to him, uh, heard, heard the people arguing with Jesus, and recognizing that he had answered them well, he, he said, what commandment is foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, and this is quoting Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment, uh, no other commandment greater than these. Well, we know these words, don't we? But just before the service, I was just thinking, recalling a story. Um, I don't know whether I've ever told it, but Shirley has told it many times as she's led Alpha courses. And I was just thinking back to when we were together in um, Auschwitz, the former Nazi concentration camp in uh, Poland. And so Shirley knows the story well because she used it in the Alpha course as part of the Alpha course 
Um, I had been to Auschwitz before, and it's a pretty gruesome place. There's actually three uh, camps in Auschwitz, and I've been to a number of other former concentration camps. But I wondered how Shirley would find it, um, being in Auschwitz. But would you like to come tell the story, Shirley? Um, this is when we can have the mic, please. Um, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Here's a challenge to all of our hearts. Now, this wasn't one that I told, it was Nikki Gumbel. <laughs> Nikki Gumbel and Sue Chapman was with me for many years helping with Alpha. He talks about um, them lining up the Jews, the men in this line together. And he was picking out ten men. And he just said, you and you and you, just at random picking them out. When they came forward, he said, you are going to the death chamber. You're starving to death in this chamber. And one of the men cried out and said, oh, my poor wife and children. And there was a Catholic priest in the line that hadn't been chosen. And he came out and he said, can I take the place of this man? I don't have any wife and children. And they allowed that to happen. So this Catholic priest went down and we saw the room, a small room where they were underground, no lights, and these ten men had to be there. It was the starving chamber. And this Catholic priest had such a joy of the Lord that he taught them all to sing. And they were singing and praising the Lord. He helped them to lift their spirits as the day by day went by and they got weaker and weaker. <coughs> the story goes on to say, they didn't die. Well, some of them didn't. He didn't. And they had to finally inject them because they needed to bring another new lot in. <laughs> because the Lord's presence was there and the radiance of his help for them all. That man that was saved once he went back to his family travelled around. I'd like to say Europe. I don't know. He travelled around telling that story how Christ died for our sins but someone else died for me as well, a person. And it was very powerful. Yeah. Thank you. That is a powerful story, isn't it? Yeah, Paul, give that to you. Wow. So in, in this passage, uh, we see the contrast between light and darkness. And uh, when you go to a place like Auschwitz, has anyone been there? You've been there. And it's pretty gruesome, isn't it, really? Um, I remember, was it the, the first time I was there, I was with a team, uh, folks from Holland, and we went through the main entrance where the trains would go in and uh, they would go right to the end of the track and they would unload people and there was a crematorium um, there and there was another one over here, I think there were three. And I saw a, a lot of people standing there and uh, they looked like soldiers. So I thought, excuse me, I'm going. So I went right down the track to the end and there was a ceremony going on and there uh, was there were two Israeli soldiers with the Israeli flag and there were a group of civilians but there were I don't know there could have been 150 uh, soldiers all in their uniforms Israeli soldiers and these were high-ranking soldiers many of them and uh, not understanding Hebrew but then a, a person came up a lady came up and began to sing and I recognized words like ruach and, and uh, things like that uh, and when the service was over, uh, the soldiers were taking photographs of one another. And I, I went up and I said, look, can I help you? And, oh, yes, yes, please. So this other soldier could be in. And he was, you know, a high-ranking soldier. And he thanked me afterwards for taking the pictures. And, 
Um, and I said to him, or well, I first of all said, uh, I'm from Canada, and I said, there are many people in Canada that love Israel and love the Jewish people. And he was really touched by that. And he, he just grabbed my hand and he just squeezed it. And then he grabbed it again, just squeezed it, just the appreciation of acceptance. Because this group, has, this was their last day. They had two weeks in Poland going around the former Nazi concentration camps. And they were about to go home. Um, and I asked him a question. I said, how do you feel about being in this place? He said, I'm very proud to be here. I didn't want to go into details. He said, my mother was a survivor of this camp. So in that place, terrible, terrible atrocities took place, as you know. But to be there and to stand on the very concrete, and, and there was even a, a, can, a can of cyanide, an empty can or something there, um, to be in the very place where actually um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people uh, were put to death talk about darkness but in the midst of the darkness there there was a shining light in that wonderful story that Jesus told uh, I've got a definition of darkness and light here uh, a dictionary definition the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible and darkness being the partial or total absence of light and I was touched by that story that you told last was it last week uh, Lauren about being caving and then the lights are out. I mean, what a darkness that must be. But darkness is, imagine being there alone, you know, and your battery's gone and you don't know where to get out. It would be a terrible, terrible thing. But we live in a world of darkness, but thank God for the light of the gospel. Just quoting again from First John chapter 1, verse 5, This is a message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we, do not, we lie and do not practice the truth. But as we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now the moment I surrendered my life to Jesus in a Youth for Christ rally as a young man, it was like a light was turned on on the inside. That's, that, that was my experience. And uh, I'm just thinking of these things now. I hadn't planned to say them. But... I was living in my family home at the time. I was in teacher's college and I went home and my parents were in their bedroom. The light was off. Uh, I knew they were not yet asleep and I went in and I just felt to do something. I said, Dad and Mum, tonight I've given my life to Jesus. Now, we were a Presbyterian family. My mother and father were faithful church attenders. But I said, I've given my life to Jesus tonight and God has forgiven me all of my sins. And I said, would you please forgive me for the times I have sinned against you? And I particularly spoke to my mother because my mother was such a controlling person and I really struggled with the control uh, from my mother to myself. And she laughed a nervous laugh <laughs> and said, well, uh, we'll see if your life's changed. Now, even if she had said, I will never forgive you, I knew I had to do that. No one pressured me. No one told me to do it. A light had come into my life and I just needed to deal with some things. And of course, those closest to home are the ones where sometimes we have to deal with things. There's a few scriptures here talking about uh, the light. You know, God said in the beginning, let there be light. Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Psalm 43, 3, O send out your light and your truth, let them lead me. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then Acts chapter 26, 17 and 18, uh, God apprehended Paul. He said, I'm sending you to open their eyes, the eyes of the Gentiles, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And then 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, and the reason those words are in capitals because this is quoting from the Old Testament, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Now, I've often referred to uh, Jonathan Kahn's The Book of Mysteries. Here I am again. Uh, we read it every day. Uh, I'm on my eighth reading of this book. We've almost completed it going through it together as a husband and wife. But uh, I, I can't wait for seven or eight years to get, you know, uh, I'm on my eighth reading. But this is day 15, the night and day paradigm. And the setting is the Middle East, um, a, a school, a teacher, a student. There was no lesson that day, but then in the middle of the night he came to my room and woke me. Come, said the teacher, it's time for the lesson. We're going outside. I was half asleep and not thrilled at the idea, but of course I complied. He led me to a hill where we sat down in the darkness of the night. Which comes first, he asked, the day or the night? The day, I answered, night comes and when the day is over. That's what most people would say, and that's how most people in the world see it. Day leads into night, but it's not how God sees it. What do you mean? If the day leads to night, then everything goes from light to darkness. Everything gets darker. Everything is in the process of darkening, and it would appear to be the way of the world. We go from day to night, from youth to aging, from strength to weakness, and ultimately from life to death. Day to night. It's the way of the world, but it's not the way of God. When God created the universe, it was not day and night. Uh, it was not day and night. It is written, there was evening and then there was morning. The day began with the night. Then there the night and then there was the day. It is the night that comes first. So that's why Jewish holidays always begin at sunset. Yes, and not only Jewish holidays, but every biblical day, each day begins at sunset. There is evening and then morning. The world moves from day to night, but in God it's the opposite. It goes from night to day, from darkness to light. The children of this world live from day to night, but the children of God live from night to day. They are born again in the darkness and move into the day. And if you belong to God, then that is the order of your life. You are to go from darkness to light, from weakness to strength, from despair to hope, from guilt to innocence, from tears to joy, from death to life. And every night in your life will lead to the dawn. So live according to God's sacred order of time that your entire life will always be moving away from darkness and to the light. As he said those words, the first light of daybreak appeared and the night began yielding to the day. And then the thought at the end, the mission, what darkness is in your life? the darkness of fear, of sin, of problems, of gloom. Today, turn away from it and to the light of day. So that's an interesting thought, isn't it? 
God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So we're seeing the, the contrast between uh, light and uh, darkness and also between love and hate. And these are just dictionary definitions. Uh, love, an intense feeling or of deep affection. Uh, hate, uh, feel intense or passionate dislike for someone. Uh, have a strong aversion to someone. Now, we don't know what that means. We've never experienced that, but have we? Have we? Yeah? Uh, love. John 15, 12 to 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Galatians 5, 13 and 14, For you were called to freedom, brethren, and you do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we've heard that great story. Now, I made a decision years ago, and I've been married a few years, 53 years now, so we're in our 54th year. Um, uh, but I made a decision at the beginning of our marriage and then when children came along that if I was ever, if we were ever in a crisis situation and for instance we're at the river the lake and uh, Shirley or one of the children was in trouble drowning but I knew if I was to rescue that person I would die maybe a rushing river I could rescue the person but I would die in the process well, I made a decision back then if I was ever in that situation, and I've never been in that situation, fortunately, if I was ever in that situation, I'd be willing to lay down my life for Shirley and for one of the children. I wouldn't have to make the decision at the moment of crisis. I wonder what I should do. It's already been decided on the inside. And um, I believe that's, that's an action, a love or a response of love. And God wants us as believers to... Uh, be walking in love, of course. Uh, hatred. Going right back to Leviticus 19, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. Uh, we can uh, outwardly appear to, to love, but inwardly we can have hate. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then Matthew 5, 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now here's an interesting verse in John chapter 14, or verses 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, that's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? I mean, God loved us, gave us an example. We are to love also, but here it talks about hating father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, and even our own lives. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And we know that a cross is an instrument of, of death. And we had to carry that cross, death to self, day by day. But I was encouraged as I looked up the, the Greek and Strong's Concordance. That word means, hatred means to detest. It means to love less. 
Ah, I can understand that. To love less. I am to love my life less than I uh, love Jesus. I am to love my life less than I love my wife, my children, and so on and so on. God's word is challenging, isn't it? It really is. And we have been called to live a crucified life, death to self, and, uh, and that death brings resurrection life for others. Hebrews chapter 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. That's the NASV. But the authorised version says, do not give the devil a place. And the Greek word is the word topos, from which we get words like topography, speak of an exact geographical location. And here we are um, exhorted as believers not to give the devil a place. And it's in the context of being angry. So, two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God, there is the kingdom of Satan. And here are some of the contrasts. One is the kingdom of light, the other the kingdom of darkness. One is the kingdom of holiness and righteousness, the other sin and unrighteousness. Healing and health, sickness and disease. Love, hate. Sorrow, joy. Peace, fear. Liberty, bondage. Life and well-being, death and destruction, eternal life, eternal judgment. Now, there are just a few of the things I thought, but there are two kingdoms. And I've listed here four personal illustrations. I've been wondering what story should I tell to just back up these scriptures. And um, two of them involve women, two of them involve a male. Um, myself actually <laughs> but I thought no I'll talk about the two stories that refer to a woman and this in no way um, I'm not being biased uh, you know I mean this could well be a story regarding a man but they're both very very powerful stories we moved from New South Wales Australia years back to go to Queensland <coughs> uh, that's a northern state in Australia and it wasn't long before Shirley and I were both on staff in an inner city church. Uh, Shirley was music director and I was um, minister of pastoral care and I was one of five elders in the church. Now, this story did not take place when we were there. It took place before we arrived, but we heard it. It was a well-known testimony. The assistant pastor's wife would tell the story about her journey. She and her husband lived in New Zealand, and this is a story I would not tell for years and I wouldn't probably tell in New Zealand even to this day. Um, this man, the, the husband, was the pastor of uh, the biggest church in his denomination in the country. Uh, very possibly the biggest Protestant church in the nation, I'm not sure, but a very influential church. Uh, a wonderful man, a wonderful teacher, uh, he had been a missionary in Asia and uh, he just loved by so many, many people. But then his wife came down with cancer. 
and the disease progressed and it was a great concern to them because it was really terminal and the doctor had given instructions what to do what not to do and they went back to the doctor this time and you know, things were not good but one morning the pastor this husband woke up at five o'clock in the morning and the Lord said to him if you will believe what you have been preaching all of these years your wife will be healed now he was a Pentecostal pastor if you will believe what you have been preaching all of these years that God heals today your wife will be healed and he accepted that word faith comes by hearing the word of God he received that word shared it with his wife and they agreed together they would simply trust God <coughs> so when they went back to the doctor the doctor wanted to do surgery or more surgery and uh, they said doc you know that um, that's not the answer it's not the solution and yes I know it's not the answer but we're just going to trust God so here was a critical situation this pastor resigned as um, the senior pastor resigned as pastor in that church and he and his wife moved to Australia they brought bought a travel trailer and began for two years they were um, evangelizing teaching throughout Australia and uh, this pastor said to me they were the two of the most wonderful years of his life as far as ministry as far as power was concerned God really really used him but during those two years they were thanking God for that promise if you will believe what you've been preaching all of these years, your wife will be healed. But she actually got worse and worse and worse. At this particular stage, uh, they were on staff uh, in the church that we were to join, and uh, I was, he was a, a co-pastor. And um, there was a, a, a meeting. There could have been, well, there were hundreds of people there. There could have been up to a 1,000 people in this auditorium at the time. And they had a visiting speaker. And on the platform, <coughs> he turned to this lady and said, the reason that you are not healed is because <coughs> of the unforgiveness, the bitterness that's in your life. And if you will deal with that, no, the healing will flow. Now, that's not something you normally do or want to do. Um, this pastor knew this couple, probably knew them quite well. He knew the situation. And those who knew the wife knew that she had a tendency to be uh, a little bitter and hold things. God had given her opportunity to deal with that particular sin, but she had not dealt with it. And sometimes when people are in high-profile ministries and don't deal with things, then they are dealt with publicly. Um, I'm thinking of a situation now, a man I will not name, but you know his name. And his whole ministry and television ministry was exposed and everything else and went, it crashed. But I've had a meal with the man who actually exposed it, brought it into the light. That man had been, that, that evangelist had been given opportunity after opportunity to deal with this sin, to repent. Sin of adultery. Didn't deal with it. And then it was dealt with publicly. Well, here were two people, high profile ministers. The sin had not been dealt with, and now it was being dealt with in a public manner. And I tell you, this lady, she was kind of fiery. She was really, apparently, really upset. And she left the meeting. She would not allow her husband to drive her home. She just began to walk home, which was quite some distance. And when he tried to give her a ride, she wouldn't do it. She was so angry. She had been humiliated before all of these people. Her sin had been exposed publicly. She was angry. <clears throat> but what that visiting preacher 
had said was true. And the conviction was there and it continued. And finally she repented. She repented of her sin. She asked God for God's mercy to, be, to prevail and that she received the forgiveness of her sins. And then, and this is the testimony that she would tell, over the, the a following period of time, many, many weeks, um, <clears throat> I can only describe it like boil-like sores came out on her body. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not a doctor, so I can't explain what happened, but uh, her body broke out and all these horrible sores, and there was a weeping and there was a releasing from her body of stuff that was on the inside. And she was completely healed. When she went back to the doctor, finally, not a trace of cancer in her body from this terminal condition to complete normality of health. It's quite a powerful story. And, of course, it would be more powerful when the person herself would tell the story. But here was a lady who was harboring things in her heart. There was hatred in her heart, and she had not dealt with it. And there were consequences that affected not only herself, her marriage, but other people as well. But what a wonderful story, what a wonderful testimony that she was now healed and she would share that story. And of course it was a challenge to many, many people who were harboring things in their heart. You know, as Christians we can have hate in our heart. I remember, I was just thinking this this morning or yesterday, thinking about today, I was staying with a couple who had just moved into full-time ministry and they were in full-time ministry for years kind of a missionary work and it was on a farm <coughs> and one of the steers got caught in the fence just near the house and this man had an anger problem that would erupt from time to time uh, we can love the Lord and have an anger problem that can erupt from time to time and he was so angry that the steer was wrecking the fence he took a sledgehammer and just began to hit that poor animal again and again and again on the head and you know who I'm talking about Shirley you were not there and his wife was standing alongside of me screaming screaming to him to stop doing it but he wouldn't do it he was so overcome with anger he just talked about concussion probably killed the animal but he was a Christian man full-time ministry there can be things in our hearts that sometimes can erupt and, of course, they need to be dealt with whether they erupt or not. Well, one more story from the same church. All right? Again, a story about a lady, but it could well be the story about a man. One of our deaconesses, um, loved by many, but those who knew her well knew that there was a root of bitterness in her life, particularly towards Christian leaders, pastors. The day came when cancer was discovered and finally, I remember this day well, we were a church that prayed for people who were sick. <coughs> there had been people like this assistant pastor's wife who had been totally healed of cancer uh, there were stories like that among the people of the church, but it was made known to the church uh, by the pastor I've just been speaking about, his wife had had the cancer, um, that uh, so-and-so uh, is, is very ill, and people knew that. 
And we want to have a 24-hour prayer chain. So we've got a board over there after the service. If you would go and choose a slot, whether it's 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. or you know 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And we're going to pray around the clock for this lady for healing. Well, I was on the platform and uh, he asked us all to stand and led us in a prayer for the healing of this lady. And I just found I couldn't pray this prayer. It was a strange thing. He was in need. There was someone that was loved. I, I just couldn't pray. And so here I am. I forget what I did. I probably, you know, maybe put my hands up in my mouth because I didn't want to be praying things that, that I didn't believe in. But I just knew I could not pray that prayer. And I certainly didn't put my name on that prayer chain. I didn't understand. But as Shirley and I drove home, I know the exact suburb and I can take to the exact spot just crossing the rail tracks in this particular suburb. And as we went across these rail tracks, the Lord just spoke into my heart and said, she is going to die and this is why. It was because of the sin of bitterness, the hate that was in her heart. It had not been dealt with. Now, I didn't tell anybody. I told Shirley, of course. I didn't tell others in the team, the leadership team. I didn't want to put out around a negative report, but I just knew that she was going to die. And the reason that she was going to die was because of the sin, this darkness, this bitterness that was in her life. Probably just a few weeks later, as an eldership, we went to the home of this lady and she was in bed. We didn't know that two weeks' time she'd be dead. A very wealthy couple, a beautiful home on the waterfront with, with canals where people bring in their boats and they've got their docks and things. And um, the senior pastor, <coughs> as we anointed her with oil, the senior pastor began to pray. And as he began to pray, I heard God speak to me so clearly, it's too late, it's too late, it's too late. Uh, and I burst into tears. <laughs> I mean, I heard God speak to me. I knew it was God. And had already spoken to me in the service and going over those train tracks that day. And now in this situation, we're anointing her with oil and praying. And the Lord spoke so strongly, it's too late, it's too late, it's too late. And when I heard God speak, I burst into tears. Now, that woman's mother was there. And she also had a similar spirit, a bitter spirit. You know, some people you just know, they, they have bitterness. And you've got to be careful what you might say because it could come out. And she turned on these men and said, you should have come here earlier to pray for her. Now this man has compassion. Look, because I was weeping. This man has compassion. You don't have compassion. In other words, you're not crying, therefore you're not compassionate. And she reprimanded them in the middle of the prayer. Well, the prayer was prayed. and <clears throat> It wasn't long after that, before he left the room, Excuse me. another pastor came, a well-known pastor in the city, uh, well-respected, who had known this couple for a long, long time, and he prayed a most beautiful prayer, just beautiful, beautiful prayer. But in my heart, I knew that prayer wasn't going to work. And then, as an eldership, we went outside on the waterfront, and I said, guys, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you why I cried. And I told him the story in the service a few weeks back when there was a call to prayer. 
I just feel I couldn't enter into that prayer. Going home, crossing those rail tracks in a certain suburb, God spoke to me and said, the reason she's going to die is because of the unforgiveness and the bitterness in her life. And today, I heard the Lord say, it's too late, it's too late. That's why I cried. And I just told them, told nobody else about that because didn't want the news to get out. But two weeks later, she was dead. It was such a shock to the church. People were believing, 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 trusting God for a miracle to take place. The miracle didn't take place. And often we don't know why a miracle doesn't take place. This person we pray for, they get healed. This person we pray for, they don't get healed. And we don't know. Unless some revelation comes, some understanding comes. But I believe God gave me understanding in that particular situation. How we have to watch our hearts, folks. I am afraid, a good fear, I am afraid to have unforgiveness and bitterness in my life. I am afraid to open my heart to darkness, consciously open my heart to darkness. Because as Christians, we can do that. And this passage is talking about brothers and sisters, isn't it? Talking about believers. Let alone what many unbelievers have in their hearts. So this passage is a challenge to all of us. And then Matthew 6, just in concluding. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Wow. Wow. Uh, this is what can happen. We can have unforgiveness in our hearts towards somebody. And God convicts us. And we make a decision. We confess that and we repent. And we think it's dealt with. Next time we meet that person, up it comes. Oh, I couldn't have been sincere enough. Oh Lord, I'm really, really sorry. I thought I repented the other day, but I really repent now. Please forgive me, Lord. And uh, we believe we've dealt with that issue. But then the telephone rings a little while later, and it's that person. The moment we hear that voice, up comes this welling of, of bitterness. Now we're really confused. What is going on here? Was I not sincere enough? Did I not repent enough? Whatever. I'll tell you what's happened. The scripture says, don't give the devil a place. In Ephesians chapter 4, 26, don't give the devil a place. It's possible to give the devil a place. And if we open our heart to unforgiveness, bitterness, and don't deal with it, we are in danger of coming into a bondage from the evil one in that area. So what we need to do if we're struggling in that situation, it's not I really, 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 really repent. No. Lord, I have confessed that, I have turned from that, and I thank you for your forgiveness. And I renounce everything in bitterness <coughs> that the evil one has placed upon my life in the name of Jesus. And um, a freedom can come. And I will conclude with this story. When we married, or just before we got married, I said to Shirley, I don't want children. And she was one of 11 that lived. And uh, she had helped mum with many of the siblings, changing diapers and all that sort of stuff. We call them nappies in New Zealand, not diapers. You know it's nappies, don't you? you see, see, he knows. Yeah, this man knows. <laughs> and, um, but why didn't I want children? I was afraid to have children. Because whenever I heard a baby cry, not a child, but a baby, and 
instantaneous reaction would take place on the inside and, and such an anger would rise up, I felt like killing that child and it scared me. It scared me. And, and that's why I, said, I, I don't want children because I, I thought you know something could happen one day and perhaps I could kill that child. Um, and so we made a decision early on and the Lord also spoke to Shirley in a dream which we referred to in some of our books. Um, so we were 17 years without children. And we've never had our own children. But then I had a dream that some of you heard me share. Three future events were shown to me and the second one was the adoption of uh, our first two children. And uh, those scenes have literally come to pass as I've seen them in the dream. It's just absolutely amazing. God knows the end from the beginning. And in that dream, as I was caught up to this heavenly country, flying over it like Superman, I was aware of a little girl behind me. Uh, I didn't even turn my head in the dream. I just knew she was there. And that little girl spoke two words that pierced through that barrier around my heart. And I felt momentarily what it was like to be a father. And it was a good thing. And those two words were, Hello, Daddy. So when I woke up and I shared with Shirley about uh, three events that God had told me that were coming, I said, we're going to have children. And um, anyway, but I still had that wrong attitude in my heart. But now I knew what to do. And I just prayed. Because before I became a Christian, I got so angry with a man. And I'm not an angry person. I don't, I don't think I've ever erupted in anger, have I ever? I mean, I'm, I'm not an angry person. Um, but I was angry with this man. I was so angry, I, I, would, I lay awake in bed at night for two weeks thinking, how can I kill him without getting caught by the police? That's how angry I was. The sin of murder, the sin of hate, but it was the sin of murder. And without realizing it, I opened myself to a spirit of murder. And um, when I realized what was going on now, I just prayed a simple prayer in the name of Jesus. I renounced everything of murder that came into my life when I wanted to kill a man before... before uh, uh, you know, uh, becoming a Christian, and went, and didn't feel anything happen. But I've not had that problem since. I don't have a problem with with children crying. I was in a home once in Denmark where the pastor's wife had just had three had triplets, and a lot of crying going on, no reaction whatsoever. But I was set free. I had opened myself to the enemy without realizing it. But now I had been set free by taking authority over the source of that bondage in the name of Jesus. And if we're dealing with a resentment, a bitterness that just won't go away and we ask and we repent and we confess again and again and it won't go away, it's time to go into warfare mode and take authority in the name of Jesus over any inroad that's been given to the enemy because of a particular sin in our life. Let's just pray. Oh, Father, we are challenged every day to walk in the light, to walk in the truth, and we want to walk in the light and we want to walk in the truth and we want to be walking in forgiveness day by day. Oh Lord, how your word challenges us. We thank you for this wonderful story from the Second World War of a priest willing to lay down his life in order for someone else to be saved. Help us to lay down our lives day by day. Help us, Lord, to say no to the flesh day by day. Help us to carry our cross as we follow you. Oh, Lord, we love your word and we thank you for the transformation that's brought into our lives and we just say, keep working, Father. Keep working, keep working, keep working. 
We honour you and we praise you. And Lord, if any one of us today needs to forgive someone or even go into warfare mode, help us to do that without delay that we might truly be walking in the light that your love may fill every part of our being. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.